0: crying as she wept bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot they asked her woman why are you crying? they have taken my Lord away she said and I don't know where they have put him at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realise that it was Jesus he asked her Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I am not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to them, said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name.
1: Thank you, Jack. Just going to raise our game slightly. You might wonder, with a reading that long, how long is the sermon going to be? (laughs) But don't worry, it's not proportionate. Nice to see you all. Let's pray that God would talk to us through the scriptures. Father God, thank you for the scriptures. And we come to you hungry tonight that you would make a difference in our lives. And I pray that you would fill us with the joy and the hope that the resurrection brings. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight I'm going to talk, I hope quite briefly, about what has the resurrection got to do with life? What's the resurrection got to do with life? And in particular, our lives. Uh, For me, uh, a a big moment happened uh, quite a few years ago now, uh, on Easter Day. I had been um, working my socks off as vicar on Easter Day. Uh, I was in a church, leading a church down in the southwest of England. And it was the end of the day. Uh, at that time, my children were fairly young, and when your children are fairly young, you're always absolutely exhausted. So I imagine you know, I was just ready to pack, pack it in and call it a day. As I was walking from the church to the vicarage, a very friendly lady who'd been in the congregation started a conversation with me. And, and it, it wasn't in any way an aggressive uh, conversation. It was it was entirely friendly, and it was without malice or anything like that. But basically, she said, "Rupert, thank you for your talk. Um, great, you know, Easter day, another Easter day. What's it got to do with me? All that talk about the resurrection. What, what is it relevant somehow? Now she put it, I'm sure, in a much kinder way, because I didn't feel in any way attacked. But." An important penny drop, then, that I think I've heard many, many talks, and probably you have, about the evidence for the resurrection. And there's nothing wrong with those talks. I'm not getting at anyone who's given those kind of talks. I have myself in times gone by. And it'll talk about the evidence for the resurrection. It'll talk about things like evidence for an empty tomb, and the resurrection appearances, and the disciples changed lives. And it'll normally include a quote about the best attested fact in history, that kind of thing. But all that's pretty useless if it doesn't actually impact your life and my life. And that woman's question to me really nailed it in the sense that it said, Rupert, help me. How does this have anything to do with my life? It reminds me a little bit about a site that I grew up with I grew up not that far away from here in in Kensington and quite often if you went down High Street Ken you would see an old woman, she always seemed old to me uh, pushing along a supermarket trolley and in her supermarket trolley were a number of sacks that looked like rubbish sacks and she just became a kind of fixture of High Street Kensington and me and I think probably everybody else that ever saw her with her her black dustbin bags assumed she was most likely homeless and probably destitute and poor but actually she wasn't and I only know that because when she died uh, it became public knowledge that she was extremely wealthy but she lived as if penniless and I think that's a little bit our story as Christians, so often that we live as if a resurrection never took place. In the back of our heads, we've got this knowledge that it is there somewhere. And all I want to do in the next 15 minutes or so is try and change our perspective a little bit. To try and help us to look at life with the resurrection as part of our view. Because it's such a big fact, such a huge fact, it really ought to change the way we do every day. I thought we'd have an illustration of something like that. If I say to you and to me now, May the 6th, hopefully you know that is Coronation Day. And although, although Prince Charles hasn't known all his life that May the 6th would be Coronation Day, he has known that Coronation Day would come along and that knowledge I'm sure has shaped every single day of his life from infant right the way through it's just a question of when but it was massive impact if we know that at the end of our days God will raise us from the dead it totally will change our perspective on how we do life if we really take this in And so that leads me to a point which needs to be said, what is the resurrection? And again, I think Christians drop the ball at this point. You need to know that the resurrection really is a physical event that will actually happen. It's it's not a metaphor for something else. If you ask people, quite often, if you ask people, what do you think happens after you die? You'll get all sorts of airy-fairy responses, And some people think that resurrection, well, you know, it's a bit like what happens in the garden. with You get the seasons and things appear to die and then they come up again, the bulbs. No, we're not talking about that. Or they say, oh, you live on in the memory of others. No, we're not talking about that. Because actually you will not live on forever in the memory of others. Who who remembers your grandparents or your great-grandparents or your great-great-great-grandparents? You can't tell me what color their hair was or anything they said most likely the resurrection is physical it actually happens Jesus actually was raised from the dead he was dead and in the most amazing way his body came back to life in a a different form but similar enough to be recognized in a different form that he could enter into locked rooms but physical enough that he could eat and be touched So, a few things about this resurrection and its impact on me and you. Resurrection Sunday turns night, it transforms night by bringing in the light. John in his gospel has a rather sinister phrase that he uses when Judas goes out to betray Jesus. John just simply says and it was night and on Easter Sunday Mary goes to the tomb while it was still night but that empty tomb changed her perspective the light broke in and the resurrection says to me even the darkest even the darkest situations that you and I encounter and my goodness They hit you in the face at every level, don't they? But you think of the darkest situations that you see around the world today, the war in Ukraine, however many people are homeless and starving. And on a personal level, there is no darkness so dark that the light cannot break in. God himself has drunk the poison for us. The darkness can become light. After three days, he rose again. He turned night into light. And this is not rose-tinted spectacles. This is resurrection-tinted spectacles. Secondly, not all that different really. What looked like a cul-de-sac turns out to be a crossroads. What looks like a dead end turned out to be a lifeline not just restoration but the gateway to something better you know one of the questions I'm sure you know one of the questions that haunts us as believers as much as it haunts unbelievers is well what about all the suffering in the world and it is a very challenging 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 question But a Christian believes and holds on to the fact, not just that God himself has experienced suffering, which we talk about on Good Friday, but that he's overcome suffering and has this mysterious power to morph it into something beautiful and worthwhile. I remember hearing a true story about a clergyman, a bishop actually, Who was doing the rounds, ward rounds in a hospital. And of course, it's a very common experience that if you go around any hospital, it, it is emotionally very touching and very challenging as you see person after person who is sick and suffering, especially with children. And this bishop sat on the end of a bed with a child who was seriously ill and who was going to die and they got into a conversation and sometimes it is extraordinary how children can just be very articulate and they lack this kind of guile to hide their heart and they can have a very candid exchange of views and this child in the bed had a very candid and gentle exchange of views and perhaps the bishop was lulled into a sense of being too open really and found himself saying aren't you angry with God for the situation that you're in? A young child dying of cancer. And the child just looked at the bishop and said, no, God's got all eternity to make it up for me. And there's a kind of perspective in that and a hope in that that speaks to all of us. C.S. Lewis, writing about suffering, said, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Or I particularly like actually something that Dostoevsky writes in The Brothers Karamazov. He says, I believe that a child, I believe like a child, that suffering will be healed and made up for that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, that in the world's finale, at the moment of external harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Well, a couple of other rather simple points, I think. That Resurrection Sunday illustrates to us that we go from guilty to guilt-free. Now, uh, how many of you drive? Uh, I don't suppose that any of us that haven't sometimes made a journey and you have this sneaking, horrible feeling that you might have been caught speeding by one of those cameras and you're not quite sure, but you kind of turn to someone you know and say, well, I guess we'll find out in the next week or two. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I can see from your faces that that's a fairly common shared experience. But then when you don't get the fine and you don't get the letter after a week or two, you forget it and you just say, well, that's commonplace, good. Uh, And off you go again. Well, if that's true of something as simple as speeding, actually, uh, it's true over a lifetime of far greater things than speeding. That you don't need me, really, to tell you there must be things which actually you'd rather forget and rather hope that no one ever caught them on camera or ever saw them, and they've now been forgotten. Things that you feel guilty about. And that was certainly actually the case, wasn't it, For Simon Peter. Because if Simon Peter is known for anything. I guess he's known for denying Jesus three times. And he's known for following Jesus at a distance. But what happens after the resurrection? Jesus comes alongside him. And basically recommissions him. Basically reassures him he has been forgiven. That he's gone from guilty to guilt free the risen Jesus can speak that into your life into my life that literally on the cross a negative has been turned into a plus it speaks reassurance to me and lastly the resurrection invites me and you to faith the future not just face the future but faith the future, in in this sense. It, it's a bit like um, when you buy a really thick novel and the novel, let's say it's a biography or an autobiography, and the character in the novel is going through, uh, or the book, is going through all sorts of testings and trials and dangers. Well, I I've, I've found actually that my wife and I read novels in a, and books and biographies in a different way i like actually reading them from the beginning to the end but she likes beginning them and then skipping to the end and i'll say to her liz you're ruining this book you know how can how can you be turning to the last chapter no i'm not ruining it at all i'm making it possible to enjoy the book because if i know how it ends if i know it all ends well i can relax through every kind of scrape that's coming and she's got a point if you and I know it's all going to end well, if we know for sure that whenever our death day comes, it will end well, you're free to live life for Jesus now. You're free to take a risk. You don't have to cover yourself in the kind of self-protective way that you would otherwise once you know that your, your life can be entrusted in God's hands. The resurrection gives you that confidence when you're not confident in God's provision for the future, then you cling on to this world for dear life. C.S. Lewis once read this. If, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of a Roman Empire The great people who built up the Middle Ages, the evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Yet since Christians have largely ceased to think of that other world, they've become so ineffective in this one. The best is yet to be. Let's pray.